Uh, good morning. It's uh, good to be able to share with you again this week. And we're going to be uh, looking at the book of Philippians again, the second in, in our series. And it's always a privilege to be able to share from God's word. So let me, let me pray for us before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to your word. And we thank you for the book of Philippians and, and all that it uh, shows us of, of, of who you are but of how we live in relationship both with you as our Heavenly Father and as the community that we find ourselves in that is called the church. So I I pray for us this week uh, that we would hear your voice uh, through your written word and I pray that you speak uh, through me and, and through the preparation that I put into this into each of our lives so that we may become a little bit more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, last week I'm sure that many of us uh, either watched live or, or saw on our news feeds uh, the coverage uh, of Prince Philip's uh, funeral. Uh, and though it wasn't a state funeral, which is only reserved for uh, monarchs, uh, the event had all the hallmarks of an occasion befitting for a member of, of the royal family. You know, on the one hand, it was quite unique in its uh, simplicity, yet profound in its content and executed with military precision, who one would expect for a high-ranking member of the royal household. And of course, you're always going to get those who are going to be complaining about the the amount of coverage that the passing of uh, Prince Philip had. But for many... It was a reminder of our national identity, of who we are as citizens of the United Kingdom. And, you know, I think it's okay to have a sense of pride as we consider that the nation we actually belong to and the history that is a part of who we are and was really displayed in the events of last weekend. Yeah, but it's also important to remember that being a citizen of a country, whichever country that may be, you know, it, it comes with a weight of responsibility, doesn't it? There's a certain code of conduct that we follow of citizens of, of, of any country in order for that nation to be able to, to, to function and to function well. You know, whenever I uh, hear the headlines or read the headlines, you know, Brits abroad... Yeah, something inside me automatically uh, winces. Um, and any sense of pride I may have felt in, in me being part of, of the UK is replaced by a feeling of shame because you know, I think we know that nine times out of ten when we talk about Brits abroad, it's generally not in, uh, painted in a very positive light and, and usually because of very poor behaviour. You know, in, in, a, in a similar way... You know, whenever we hear about, you know, dysfunctionality, you know, within the church, you know, when we read of a person's conduct that has caused hurt, or we read of division and, and, and conflict, you know, we, we too experience a, a, a kind of ripple effect of the consequences of somebody else's actions as, as the family of God, because, because we know that's not how things are meant to be. 
And, and these words of the Apostle Paul offer us a, a, a poignant reminder of our obligation as those who call ourselves Christians within the family of God. And Paul says this, you know, whatever happens, you know, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now I'm going to ask Johnny if he will uh, do this morning's uh, reading for us. For us. And, and the reading is taken again from the Philippians, starting at Philippians 1, 27, and we're going to be going to Philippians 2, uh, verse 4. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You know, when we read passages like has just been read to us, you know, it's not as if the Philippian church was, was a particularly bad church. Uh, or even a lazy church when it came to their you know, responsibilities as, as a community, uh, as, as God's people. Yeah, but like most of us, from time to time, we need to be reminded gently as to what it means to be a gospel community. Yeah, the, one of the implications in the term that, that, that Paul uses here you know, when, he, when he says, you know, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy, implies not only of them being citizens of the town of Philippi, where, where they lived, but also citizens of heaven. And when we spring forward, and we'll see this later on, we see this in Philippians 3, verse 20. And here was a group of, of people who had dual citizenship, you know, and, and, and if you call yourself a Christian this morning, you, know, you too have dual you know, citizenship. You know, I'm a citizen of the UK, you know, where, where, where I live, where I was born, where, where I grew up. But I'm also a citizen of heaven. And because of this, it matters a great deal how I live and how I I conduct myself. You know, or, or as Paul puts it quite simply, that I, I, I had to conduct myself in a manner 
that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. You know, sometimes when we are under pressure or are experiencing some particular challenge you know, in life, it, you know, it can be a real temptation, can't it, to take the, the, the foot off the gases, so to speak, and, and, and to let things slip. Yeah, that, that, that ordinarily we may not. And, the, and this seems to be what is happening in the church in, in Philippi. You know, the, the church was facing strong opposition. We, you know, we, we, we read this in verse 28. And because of this, you know, some of the congregation were, were, were gripped with fear. You know, and, and, and as we move towards the end of chapter 1, we see how Paul identifies with all that they are going through. And, and, and he says, you know, I, I get it. You know, it's happening to me too. You know, we are in this together. But even as we go through these trials, I still need to say to you, you know, what, what, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel yeah, one thing uh, that the Philippians yeah, weren't able to say, yeah, but, but you don't understand, Paul, you, you don't understand. He says, yes, I do understand. And you're not alone in this. We're in it yeah, together. You know, just this last week, I was uh, listening to a, 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 a TED Talk on, on, on YouTube, uh, and it was by a, a Jewish rabbi called, called Jonathan uh, Sachs. If you ever get the opportunity, uh, you know, look it up. It's, uh, he's a, he's a, fa- a fascinating uh, speaker. Uh, and the title of, of this particular talk was, you know, How Can I Face the Future Without Fear? And then he adds a caveat, together. And, and he spoke about redeeming our solitude. In, in that he pointed out that in, in our modern society, you know, we have a tendency to overdose on the I, the self. And, and, and so we, we hear phrases all the time such as you know, self-help, self-expression, you know, self-esteem. And, and of course, we have the modern religious uh, ritual known as the selfie. And he goes on to observe that when we have too much of the I and, and too little of the we, we can find ourselves incredibly vulnerable and fearful and alone. You see, when God created us, he, he made us social you know, beings. And, and, and yes, we were created to be in a relationship with God. It's, it's a fundamental element of the Christian faith, isn't it? But it's when we cultivate the pseudo-Christian mindset that it's all about me and Jesus. And here we make a fundamental mistake. You see, when, when God calls us, you know, he calls us out of our isolation. And he calls us into his family, you know, his, his royal family, because he's the king. And he calls us to become 
you know, part of this incredible, incredible family called the church. And so when we read in Philippians 1.27, we see that Paul isn't uh, looking for, for brave individuals to weather the storm uh, that, that are standing firm in the faith. No. He's looking for the we. He's looking for the us. He's looking to the family of God who are striving together. Because we truly are better together. You stand firm, Paul says, in one spirit, you know, contending or, or, or striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You see, we're meant to do life together. Yeah, we're meant to face the future together. We're meant to be there for each other in every aspect of life. Yeah, we, as a church, we, we, we need each other. I know, uh, yeah, for many of us, yeah, we can't wait to get back together uh, as, a, as a congregation, to get back, as, as we're often hearing, get back to the norm. But I know that for some of us, that may not be the case. Yeah, you may be sitting there, listening to me uh, prattle on, and thinking, you know, actually, you know, I quite enjoy doing church like this. <laughs> I quite enjoy uh, eating my bowl of porridge in front of the TV and doing church. And obviously, it doesn't just need to be porridge. It can be a, a, a cereal of, 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 of any choice, of, of your choice. And you might be thinking, I, I'm, I'm actually feeling uh, you know, a bit anxious about coming back together again. Yeah, and, and to be honest, your relationships in church just, just feel quite strained. And you know, I, I know we talk about unity uh, and even sing about it from time to time, but I know it's... It, it's Sometimes it's, it, it's hard. You know, just speaking uh, from personal experience and, 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 and frankly, be, just being honest. Um, you know, my family and I returned from, from living in, in West Africa. Um, one of the hardest things that yeah, I found personally was, was, was entering back in, into the church you know, in the UK. Now, you know, don't get me wrong, the ch- you know, Beck was incredibly supportive. And we are so thankful for, for our family here, you know, within the church. But still, it wasn't easy. Yeah, as Saturdays progressed, I'd get that an anxiety, a feeling, this feeling of anxiety increasing. Yeah, having knowing I was going to have to mix with the the, the masses, you know, on Sunday, and you know, after you know, burning out quite badly in in, in Burkina, you know, social anxiety was just one of those things. Yeah, you know, I, I had to deal with, and sometimes you know, still do. Yeah, I know for some of us, you know, maybe there are strained relationships. And maybe some of us have, have been burned by the church before and, and so online actually kind of suits us quite well. And, and, and of course, you know, we're at liberty to think that way. 
But that way of thinking has little to do with conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, is it? And here's why. Because when we think that way, we can't then go on to talk about the gospel of reconciliation, you know, from a position of disunity. It, it, it doesn't work. Or we, we, we can't speak of a gospel of reconciliation and love uh, when we're alone in our own personalised, privatised faith where we don't have to interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, our unity is demonstrated in community because it's our togetherness, our oneness, our, our, our unity that authenticates you know, the message that we proclaim. You know, one of the challenging things uh, you know, about unity is that it, it, you know, it, just, it doesn't just happen. You know, there, there isn't some app that we could just you know, download for unity and it just springs into action. It'd be so much easier if there was. You know, click on the app, download, up into action, unity. Life doesn't, act that, life doesn't work that way. You see, you know, it involves work. Uh, and there are a number of things that Paul tells us in you know, moving on to chapter two that we need that, that needs to take place in, in order for unity to come about. And, and, and the first thing he mentioned in, mentions in, in chapter two is a practice of what I describe as observe and repeat. You know, he, he says, doesn't he, in, in, in uh, the opening of chapter 2, you know, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you know, if, if any comfort from his love, you know, if any fellowship with the Spirit, you know, if any tenderness, if, if any compassion, then he says, you make my joy complete and be like-minded. Another way of reading is, I'll be of the same mind. You know, when we think about this a little bit, we think about the blessings that we've received as Christians. You know, we, we, we think of the fellowship. You know, we think of the comfort. We think of the love of God. We think of the tenderness. And what Paul is saying, well, you, you've experienced, you've observed these things. And now this is what you need to do. Yeah, in the community where you are and beyond. Yeah, the, 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 the second thing that Paul draws to our attention, and this is probably the most important thing when discussing the subject of unity. You know, because without it, unity is more or less impossible to achieve. And it's this. Simply humility. You know, it's like the jewel in the crown of Christian character that can often be easily overlooked. But without it, things have a tendency to turn very ugly, you know, very quickly. And so very briefly, we're going to just kind of look at what, what, what is humility? 
just as we actually come in to the close of this morning's uh, message. And then the first thing I think that is important to actually highlight is, is what humility is not. You know, humility has nothing to do with self-abasement. You know, it has nothing to do with self-loathing. You know, it, it, it's got nothing to do by saying, I'm no good and everybody else is better to me. That's not the point of humility, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Rather, it's quite the opposite. Humility means that you're secure enough yeah, not to need the constant reassurance of others. It means that you don't feel you have to constantly prove yourself by showing that you're the cleverest or more gifted or the more successful than the other person. You, know, you are secure because you live in God's love. And when you know you're accepted by the Father, you no longer need to compare yourself to others. Humility means that you can see other people and value them for who they are. Confidence in your own identity in Christ. You can value people not like yourselves, who, who may even have different opinions from you, for goodness sake. You know, humility is self turned outwards towards the other. It is the understanding that it's, it, it's not all about me. And my needs. You know, humility is the freedom to find joy in placing the interests of others before your own. And that is a radically different perspective. And it is from this perspective and this perspective only are we able to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.